Hey, everybody. This is Mike. I just wanted to let you know that Keith and I had some serious internet issues this week, which sort of caused me to have to cut out a huge portion of our intro segments, which probably isn't a big deal for a lot of you who are just here for the episode. But there might be some awkward audio cuts. I tried to keep it as cohesive as possible, especially through the episode portion. But if anything super wonky outside of the normal craziness, uh, I do apologize. Uh, but I wanted to let you know up front. So if it's a little shakier than usual, that is why. We had everything sorted out. Keith had the tech out to his house today, and they fixed the internet. So hopefully we won't have any more of the problems going forward. Also, for those of you who downloaded it and it was in its unfinished state before I recognized that I had not cut out some of the portions where we're flipping out about the tech issues, I apologize. But hopefully this new version is a little bit more uh, cohesive. Thanks again for your understanding, but it wouldn't be a K&M production if uh, <laughs> if we didn't screw it up a little bit. Thanks, and enjoy this week's episode. Yeah, it's my sister's birthday, Keith, so uh, we're going to dinner tonight for her. Oh, nice. With your host, Keith Varney, and... Mike Indeglio. That's me! Way back in high school... That's true. every night... Bing. My mom watched QVC, Bing. so I missed the practice. There was there no TiVo. No what could I do? Wait 15 years, get yeah, fat, If you like your podcast, including a man mumbling over all the bumpers, we're the show for you. Don't look down, Mike. Don't look down. That was your turn to talk. <laughs> and welcome to the Out of Practice Podcast, a weekly podcast in which me, I'm Keith Varney, and uh, my old buddy, Mike, that's Mike and Deglio. Yes, we talk about David E. Kelly's award-winning series, The Practice. This week, you know, the, this week we're up to season eight, episode 16, In Good Conscience. And I think that the whole premise of this show thus, uh, all the way up to this point has been, I'm the practice expert and you know nothing. Mm -hmm. But I think now... Uh, when we have nary like five episodes left, I think you are now a practice expert, sir. Uh, yeah, sure. That sounds good. It's like if it's like the Hubble man. You go back far enough in time, we know all the answers. We know all the answers, and at some point, Keith, there's that point mm. where it all becomes questions. And when we're both asking questions, and there is no information, do we have no information, or do we have all the information? That's really the question I we've come to. I have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> Me neither. Uh, <laughs> but sometimes, Keith, as you've recently seen, uh, when you came to see my show, I just turn my brain off and run on pure instinct. <laughs> and for that, we get word salad about the Hubble telescope. <laughs> sure, that 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 makes great sense. Well, Thanks, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I we we have a we have an interesting episode to uh, talk about today. And I have some interesting stories in this day in the basement. I'm all excited to do all of that. 
but before we get into that, we uh, I think we should talk about filings and subpoenas. Filings and subpoenas. Filings and subpoenas. Filings and subpoenas. Mike, can you believe that? Uh, wait, how many how many more episodes do we have before I? Uh, we have one, two, three, four, five, six. There's seven proper episodes, inclusive of this one left. That means there's only seven more opportunities for our good friend and moderator, Phoenix Cage, to criticize us. I'm looking for... <laughs> Keith, we haven't discussed it, mm. all right? But you know how, like, Serial, one of the original podcasts that exploded, audio, mm-hmm. like, long-form podcasts at least, um, serialized... They had to keep adding new eps to that original season and, like, mailbags because so many people listened retroactively. So, Keith, once it's all said and done, we're going to have to pop in once a month and, like, add people to the jury and do, because you never know. I Nobody's much know. joined the jury in, like, a year and a half. We I'm haven't just gotten saying, a new rating and review since, like, 2019. So you're saying there's a chance. No. <laughs> there's no chance. Okay. Well, you know, guys, I promise you that I will check the email once in a while and instantly hide it from Keith. <laughs> mark it as un- mark it as red. Therefore, it doesn't matter. Oh my God! All right. Well, actually, that's entire. That's such a good way to uh, to uh, introduce. Uh, I'm all It should be noted that for one of our other shows, there is a separate email address, and that is I don't even have the credentials for it. And Keith blamed me for missing an email because he assumed I had just marked it red, but it turns out it wasn't. So I don't know. Maybe you're just dumb like me. I mean, oh, I, I think I've demonstrated that abundantly clearly at this point. But uh, you do have the credentials. You just have chosen oh, not Keith's to Keith's flipping out in. of existence. Folks, we're troubleshooting an issue on Keith's end, so you might uh, this might happen a few times. Well, no, it won't make but, any difference uh, to them. We're just going to have to roll with because, it. Because... Uh, there, my my audio is going to yeah. be fine. So right now we're talking over each other, but yeah, that, uh, they won't enjoy notice. that. Enjoy that. They'll notice. My my audio will be will be totally clear. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, let us. Yeah, that's really weird. It's really annoying that that keeps happening. I'm gonna have to work on that. Anyway, so I do uh, wonder if the NDI will fix it. Maybe not. If the issue is your router, it's not going to fix it. But no, we'll see. Uh, anyway, so here's what moderator Phoenix Cage has to say about Mr. Shore Goes to Town, our last episode. Uh, he begins, Mike, click on red so Keith also sees this. Got it. Fair point. Uh, thank you. And that's the only reason I did. Uh, so let me first say that I enjoyed the preview of your upcoming step-by-step podcast. Now that would be, can you imagine if we did like all 12 seasons of step-by-step? Oh, God. I can't believe wow. it ran that long. It didn't run 12 seasons, but it ran know. longer it felt, than it should it have. felt like it was on forever. <coughs> it was the original TGIF, or maybe not the, maybe the second version, maybe maybe version B. Anyway. Uh, TGIF. We're old. Now, as for this episode, Phoenix says, yeah, the blood in his clothes suddenly being referenced in the 11th hour was weird. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that Phoenix confirmed that it was the 11th hour and I just didn't miss something. As forensic evidence, it would have been only it it could have only been a drop, which is why he wouldn't have seen it. That's fair. But if he actually killed her with a hammer, there should have been a lot more blood. Also fair. 
And then, of course, his clothes would have found their way to the hamper in his treehouse. Yes, exactly. I, I don't understand how they... Apropos all that nothing, time. when we when Alan fainted on the body, we should have gone back and looked at this. How much blood did we see on the crime scene? It wasn't excessive. Like, blunt force bludgeoning from a hammer, it's blood everywhere. She was bloody, but the whole room should have been bloody. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, that that is such a plot hole. Like, you know... It, he would have gotten rid of his clothes anyway, whether he got blood on them or not, which he absolutely would have. How did they find his clothes? Blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Uh, in this episode, the prosecution does the final closing argument, and Mike asked, doesn't the defense usually go last? I will answer this question just as I did a couple of seasons ago, which uh, you, you 100% did. Yeah, I remember The prosecution has the prerogative to go first, second, or first and third if they choose. They are given that latitude because they have the burden of proof. That's an, I, I don't think I knew that part of the wrinkle. That's great. Uh, Tara was tasked with keeping Paul from falling apart during the trial. Paul even mentioned that he knew that was her assignment. But as Tara learned in the previous episode how much loss he was experiencing, she felt that she was starting to understand the extent of his pain and her support wasn't just about doing her job. It also became about offering genuine empathy. However, you guys assumed, just as Paul Stewart's mother did, that when she saw Tara talking to Paul that she was trying to get in his pants. I believe that scene was intended to highlight how quick she was to be jealous of any women who got close to her son. Yes, casting more suspicion on her. But you both missed it because you actually thought that someone who turned down Alan until he got some therapy was screwed up enough to hit on a married man who was on trial for killing his mistress. Hmm. I'm starting to wonder if you guys have gotten cynical in your old age. Well, I'm wondering about Mike. I'm fairly certain <laughs> Keith was born cynical. Phoenix. That's all fair. Yeah. Was... Yes. Very fair. Um, even though, even though. I, oh, hold I, on. I, oh, let, let me, no. let me hey, pick, hey, let me pick my right. Nick first. Because okay. All right. All right. Uh, you generally have a more combative relationship with moderator Phoenix, Phoenix Cage, so I want to give you the floor, but I just want to state, I totally uh, are bad. Yes, you you did teach us that, and I actually remembered it vaguely when we were ta discussing it last week about who goes first and second, but I think it's interesting that they get the, the option of first and third. You would think that was almost, depending on how powerful you felt your case was that you presented, that might always be the best. Wouldn't you want the first and last word, if possible? I feel like that's got to be the choice. Definitely. Uh, but truth be told, we've seen uh, a shadow of a doubt is, uh, is, is, is a lot of latitude. So I do understand that the burden proof falls on them. Okay, anyway. I think that that, though that I agree that that scene was meant with Tara and McDreamy was meant to highlight the mother's rush to jealousy. Totally agree with right. that. I don't know that 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 two things can't exist at once. I don't know that that also meant, oh, that Tara was completely innocent in that. The performances to me were compelling enough that there was uh, there was some sexual tension there. Now, whether any of them, either of them planned to act on it or if it was just maybe in the moment, I definitely think it was there. Plus, I think we have enough context of Tara's sort of interactions with complicated men to, Indeed. to, to infer that there was something more than just her holding his emotional state together. That's just my opinion. Plus, the previous, the previously on of this week, uh, rehashed the weird that weird weird 
sex beat between Alan and Tara. So they were highlighting that to us once again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's at, at the very least, it is written to be ambiguous. Right. I, I don't I don't think that it was written to be as clearly platonic as Phoenix had it nor necessarily as clearly she's trying to bone him as mm-hmm. we were coming from. So I, I think it was anywhere. Uh, so so my my question about uh, Phoenix's last comment about uh, the cynical nature of the two of us, about Mike being newly cynical, I'm wondering, Mike, in real life, mm-hmm. I would consider you the much more cynical of the two of us, and I'm more of like the, the optimist puppy. But my... Clearly, my persona, my podcasting persona, is the more cynical one. Is do you, do you agree with that? Uh, I would. Yes, I think I present more cynical only because I operate at like at, at least in my current state, I operate at like eighty five percent snark at all time, and that snark I think is often. Uh, well, Phoenix is saying you're less cynical than I am. I think that's in your how we pre- podcasting persona. Yeah, I think that that's true. I, I would say that generally speaking, in real life, you are you are more glass half full kind of guy for sure. That's true. Which that's is true. weird because we don't really. That's not the characters we kind of assume. In, no, in this it, it's exchange. No, it, it it really isn't. Well, because it's like the, I think. Well, I think what I think that I wear my personal emotions on my sleeve a little bit more. Mm. So so that can be read as like I I. I, I access them more. <laughs> but I don't that think you're that's, not a stone cold sociopath I don't think like that's me. The truth. You know, a great example that no one cares about, but we've referenced it enough times over the podcast that I'll bring it up. The 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 Tonys were last night, which is a celebration of sort of our industry that Keith and I are uh, also have our feet in. And you know, I have just kind of grown cynical enough that it's a big advertisement and that. It, it's exclusive and it's this and it's that and that I kind of wasn't looking forward to it and Keith said no Mike this is our industry too and we got to celebrate it and that this is a commercial and we need the commercial because we want people to see theater and I said okay I'll watch it and damned if it wasn't just like so wonderful to see people celebrating and like like actually excited to be there and throwing it all putting it all out on the stage it was really uplifting and wonderful and really broke my heart to then go on Twitter and remember that Twitter is a dumpster fire and everyone was just shitting on everything. So that's right. Well, that's, that's always the case. And that's, it's almost like I, I feel an an affirmative obligation to fight back against Mm -hmm. that sort of shittiness of it all. Uh, But you know what, that, that reminds me of something and it's because it happened now, like a week and a half ago, almost two weeks ago. uh, I never talked about, Mike's show. I never talked about I love you, you're perfect, now be Mike and Jen. Uh, (laughs) Which I went to go see. I think I mentioned it on our last episode that I was headed off that way. That's right. Uh, Can I, speaking of uh, dropping my cynical uh, podcasting personality, allow me a moment of like genuineness here for a second. Uh Uh, Buckle up. Yeah. Uh, Mike, you were so fucking good. Thanks, man. Dude, dude, you were really, really good. And I I was I was blown away. Uh like comedian? you had the comedian. No, for real. I think wow, I can we take get the, the period? We're going I think I can season eight. No, I mean you're not getting an excl- exclamation point, but maybe <laughs> yeah, <periods>. a period. 
or or at least an ellipsis. I don't know something, but a semicolon. I'll take it. Uh, no, but like in in all honesty, like I I sat there. You had the entire audience in the palm of your hand from the very beginning to the very end. You played a thousand different characters. Each anyway, one. what I was saying is that every character you did was distinctly different had a point of view it was hilarious there were they were people it was it's very silly it's over the over the top but still there were all people that i knew uh and people were losing their shit and uh i have i'm i was immensely impressed and and of course jen was all of those things as she was you know, she's jen. she's uh, uh, you know we we know she's jen she's amazing she's fantastic she sounds glorious she's hilarious she looks great blah 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 uh but in like in all in all seriousness like i was really really impressed uh, well that's you know i'll say that. just to to put a cap on it i appreciate all of that it was it was wonderful to be to have material and sort of a, an experience where the universe subtly reminds you that oh yeah it's been like 3 years but you're you're pretty good at this when you get when you're in your wheelhouse you can do it um and you know working with with jen was great and what i yeah. kind of the, really what I what I got to observe firsthand uh, is that, you know, I 90% of the time sort of just am very good in the moment. I sort of have an improv improvisational nature. And so I kind of live in that moment. But Jen, who's also very funny and very talented and has had a pretty sustained career, the money be the reason for that is that her the consistency of her preparation on a day-to-day -day basis, even to do a show she's done a, a, a bunch of times, she yeah. starts warming up at three o'clock. She's in that got the steamer on at four. It's it's consistent, yeah. and it is uh, it is to be marvelled at. And I, you know, that was wonderful to, that I was able to learn from my wife. That's pretty cool. Professionalism, and you know, and your your chemistry together was was fantastic. I mean, you know, the the show sort of finishes with a very bittersweet, um, sort of closing scene between the two of you, and I like. I, I was I, I was weeping in the audience and trying to like pull my shit together before I saw you, so I didn't look like an idiot. Yeah, so you didn't want to take his mask off because there's a lot of old people that were unmasked and coughing. I was most definitely not taking my mask <laughs> off, but I will. Uh, <laughs> but I will. Uh, I, I will say that was that was really really. It fantastic. meant it meant a lot to us to have you there, man. So I'm glad I'm glad it worked out. Well, um, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, so that was uh, that was really cool. I had something else to say, but I lost it. So never mind. I'm not going right. to say it anymore. So uh, I think we should uh, move forward and and pimp out our our brand new way to beg for money. Mike, why don't you go while I try to figure out what I was going to say? Yeah, I'll do it quickly, Keith. Just as a point of contention that, or a point of planning that I'll say on air in front of all of our people during the episode. Mm. If you blip out, just just stop talking, and that way I don't have to edit anything. No, I I will definitely stop talking. <laughs> and if you're making an important point, definitely stop talking immediately. <laughs> when um, have I ever made an important? Oh wait, I remember what I was going to say. Oh great, here we and, go. And then and then you can beg for money because I thought it was really funny. So at intermission, uh, there's a whole bunch of old people sitting around me, and and they're all reading the programs. And this old lady turns to her husband and says, "Oh, and." And he hosts a podcast too. <laughs> Jen's like Broadway credits, Broadway tours, and Mike's like, "Oh, I got a podcast. I'm not going to name it or link to it, 
but I'll just mention it. <laughs> no, but they were very impressed. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. <laughs> hey, listen, do you want to make me a professional podcaster? Mm. You can help do that by giving us some cash over at the Patreon, patreon.com slash K&M. Make sure you spell out A-N-D. And our, uh, not only do you get the just internal pride of helping fund the show, being a producer, if you will. I learned from the mm. Tonys last night that uh, you can have a million producers, and that's what we're looking to do. Yes. And you also get some bonus goodies. There will be more in the future, but currently you get to watch me watch Deep Space Nine before Keith and I talk about it on the free YouTube feed. You get to look at our faces during this podcast for as long yeah. as it lasts, the next couple of, another month or so, maybe. Uh, maybe and we Two got months. some good stuff. Um, and then you get some episodes of our other podcasts early. So we do a show called Look at My Star Trek Toys, which we generally look at Keith's Star Trek Toys. This week and in one of the coming weeks, we did a great interview with uh, a guy who does custom work, makes custom action figures, and did some, spoiler, action figures of Keith and I. And yeah. uh, we posted that episode up on the feeds for our patrons early. You'll see that on YouTube coming up. Hey, if you can't donate any money, guess what else you can do? Just like and subscribe this podcast and maybe go over to YouTube and find the K&M channel and uh, give that a like and a subscribe. We'd appreciate it. Hit the bell notification trying to get our subs up. We appreciate you any way you can donate. And if not, just listening makes us feel good. So thank you so much for being a part of the team. It does indeed. And our team currently is comprised of Cloud Lover 69, Cloud Lover 69, Jorge Navoa, Alan Zimmerman, Brian Kaufman, Casey Clark, and Anne, last name to be determined. Hey, Anne, we oh. appreciate Welcome to the team. Welcome to the team. And uh, if you would like to reach out to us uh, the way Phoenix did, you can get us at outofpracticepodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at outofpracticepodcast. All right. It is uh, long since time for us to hop back into the time machine and talk about the day that this episode of The Practice aired, and that is March 4th, March 14th, 2004. Mike, uh, what were you doing? This day in the basement. Uh, well, we weren't on tour anymore, so I was pretty sad. But I had moved in with my new girlfriend, Keith. Yes. I got her to break up with her boyfriend, uh, which was surprisingly easy to do. So that should have been a red flag. Uh, and we moved into uh, oh, what I was the God? She had a boyfriend yeah, when the, the tour first started. brownstone that I ever lived in, and. Park Slope, Brooklyn, which, uh, you know, I have a, I will always have a special place in my heart of for Astoria, Queens, because that was my home for the longest period of time. But as far as neighborhoods go, I don't think I ever found a neighborhood that I loved as much as Park Slope. Park mm. Slope, aside from the, the, the knock that it was really far away because we were off the F train, so it was like a sheer hour into the city. Yeah. Um, F train just sucked. At the time, I don't know how it is now. Um. But there was just great, just mom and pop shops. There were uh, family-run restaurants. Prospect Park, for my money, that that part of Prospect Park that on the west side was just you couldn't top it. We lived a block from Prospect Park. We were on Prospect yeah. Park West and Eighth Street. There was like this amazing breakfast place across the street. Had a little dog. It was like a really cool beginning of a relationship. Uh, most, it mostly ended, because it ended really well, right? If I remember yeah, correctly. yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, so it was like bookended really 
night and day. But at least then it was a cool time. And at this juncture, uh, since we no longer uh, the the Japan tour had fallen through already, I think. Because no, to... oh no, no, the, that the was Japan later. Tour was like next fall. Oh, oh, okay. Well, then I recall. Then then I had just started working, or I was applying for to work at the National Alliance for Musical Theater, NAMPT, if you will, <laughs> uh, where I right. was uh, the assistant to the executive director. But she kept referring to me in any important meeting where I had to meet any important person as her intern. So uh, mm-hmm. I won't mention her name, but I hated her with a flaming passion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was doing, Keith. I was in Park Slope, yep. rocking and rolling, eating lots of fried egg sandwiches and uh, working at NAMPT for no money or like very little money. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I I hear that. And uh so I have an interesting story, which I'm going to try to tell quickly, and uh, I apologize for sort of vague blogging this whole thing, vague posting this. But uh, this week was, it, you know, it's really hard to put it in the right basket to characterize it. At the time, I thought I was about to have my big break oh. as an actor. And looking back on it now, it's somewhere between absolutely nothing or maybe something. I don't know. Uh, But uh, one of our uh, cast members with Titanic, who I'd become friends with, um, was uh, good friends with a uh, a relatively well-known Broadway music director, music supervisor, who at that point was in... um, some level of pre-production for a revival of Camelot, which never happened, a Broadway revival of Camelot. And she got me a uh, a meeting with him. So basically it was an audition sort of, a meet- meeting sort of. Um, but this is 23-year-old Keith. I've never even like talked with a Broadway person in my entire life at this point. And uh, I went in to meet this guy he was um in rehearsals for another broadway show and it was up at new 42 studios which is like the fancy broadway studios and i went up there during his lunch break and we had spent an hour um working together and and i was going in for lancelot Mm -hmm. because uh they king king arthur was at that point the 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 plan was to have it be uh played by a certain uh, very famous, tall, former Jedi, um, who, uh, and, you know, and I don't really know, I didn't know what to make of it, right? At that point, at that, I was like, oh, I'm going straight to Broadway. This is my big break. I'm going to be a Lancelot on Broadway opposite, you know, so-and-so, and, like, this is going to be crazy. And, and and this music director, he was he was super cool. He was nice. He was, like, gave me his number. Like, we're going to call you in when it's finally time to do it or whatever. And nothing ever came of it, right? The show didn't happen. The audition, obviously the audition didn't happen. The whatever didn't happen. But I, at that point, like 24-year-old me was like, this is it. This is the whole thing is coming together. And and it was it was a very odd experience that I, I kind of even forgot that it happened today. But, but going, but looking back on the emails that I, I was like vibrating with excitement about this thing. It was like, was it a close call? Was it not a close call? Was he just like 
humoring his friend. I don't know. I don't, I, you know, was the show ever going to happen? You know, I wasn't at the index at that point, so I wasn't able to sort of call balls and strikes on the viability, the likelihood mm. of that actually existing or not. Um, but it was a really sort of big moment for me, I thought, as an actor in that moment. So, well, you know, just to throw it out there, one of the things I deal with in therapy and have come to sort of reframe, which I'm really happy I've been able to kind of do that, mm. is for many years, I looked at all those kind of close calls, and I've had a bunch of them, uh, as failures. And I kind of use them to define negatively my sort of artistic career. And, you know, when you really break it down, Keith, and, and I think last night, the Tonys, once again, it's 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 pretty clear it's such a subset, subset percentage of people who get to work in New York theater. Forget Broadway. That's At like, all. Yeah. yeah. That touching or getting to the door and putting your hand on the doorknob and it, on an occasion getting in the door is actually a huge success. And it is it is a reminder that, you know, none of this shit was in vain. Like, we, you're in, you're at the table and it's just, the, there's, it, like, D, like any good D&D campaign, I don't care how great your character is Keith. Sometimes it comes up dice, baby. Yeah, and you know, and I don't, I don't consider this a failure because I don't even know if there was a thing to fail. Right? It yeah, was right. just sort of a like the the show didn't even happen. So even if you'd be like, yeah, you're going straight to Broadway. Here's what you're gonna have. The show didn't happen, so it wasn't gonna like, and none of it was in my control at all. And I, I you know, but I went in. I did okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I I hung in there. And I think it, um, I had obviously earned the respect of the person who recommended me, and that's a victory. Mm -hmm. I wasn't laughed out of the building, that's a victory. Um, so, yeah, I don't look back on it as if like, oh, this is like my 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 chance, and I blew it. I, I do have moments of that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, this wasn't this wasn't it, but it was a very interesting. Um, time you know and it was like i was trying to be an actor it was a very different stage in my life mm -hmm. uh, yeah but anyway uh yeah i think at that part forward. especially that part of that age it, it, it what's what has been lost probably due to just like life and realism i guess uh but at that point we had still is was the sense of inevitability right was that uh, my yeah. success is just, I'm just waiting for it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Any time now. It's and, coming. Uh, it's coming, yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, Kelly Williams is going to be directing this episode of The Practice. Really curious to see what, what was going on behind the scenes, but uh, excited to see her point of view on this episode. Mike, what do you say we go watch it? I think we should watch it, Keith. We've... Uh... Thank you for suffering through our technical difficulties, folks. Hopefully you didn't notice too much with my magical editing skills, but uh, due to my magical editing skills, I'm sure you did. <laughs> so um, let's uh, let's watch together uh, The Practice, Season 8, Episode 16, In Good Conscience. Mm. Oh, God, help me. Hang in there. Oh, it hurts. You're doing great, honey. You're doing great, baby. You're doing great. We're in a, a doctor. Baby. He's in with another patient. Please Hospital get giving him. birth. What are you doing? Oh, Still dilated to six centimeters. Fetal heart rate. Stable in the 140s. Please do something. Mary, let's retest for protein. Mary, you've only been here an hour. It takes time. It hurts. 
Well, I can start you in an epidural, but I think it's a little late. Wait, fetal heart rate's dropped. Oh, oh my god! Oh! Oh! oh. oh. We got more blood than a bludgeoning death. Mary, okay, we're Mary, I need you to stay with they, uh, me. Stay yeah, yeah. Are we ready? Let's, Let's move. Come on. Mary, I need you to stay with me. A little more, no Stay with me, Mary. Stay with me now. Mary, stay with me. Oh, he looks familiar. He looks like the dude very from Young Couple. Stay with me. Yes, that's what he said. All right, let's introduce room, some so folks here before we go into our Crane. courtroom. In a segment we call "Guy That Mike Thinks He Knows But He Probably Doesn't Know." Yeah, I thought he was the guy from Boy Meets World, but now I no longer think that. It's not the guy from Boy Meets World. He just has a very Boy Meets World late 90s dude haircut. It is John Keefe as Tom Quillen. He's a, you would know him from Proof, Return of the Living Dead, and White Air. The uh, the doctor treating the uh, the lady is Jeremy Davidson as Dr. Robert Platt. You'd know him from Salt, Wind Talkers, Army Wives, Royal Pains, and Roswell. Can you tell us what happened next? The doctor finally came out, said my daughter was okay, but Mary didn't make it. She died on the operating table. Tom, when you first arrived at the hospital... She was in severe pain. We told them. They just put us in a room. They didn't do any tests? Yes, some. They just said it's labor pains, which Mary knew was wrong. She kept telling them. They just dismissed it. Did your wife see a doctor during her pregnancy or receive any kind of prenatal examination? Hey! She couldn't afford it. I, I was an unemployed musician. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's Gary Cole back as the lawyer. I, I, I... You say that. He was 88 Solomon Tager in Home of the Brave and Crossfire, but, but it's a different lawyer! We're not supposed to notice that you've been on the show before, but now you get twist the residuals arriving at your door. So welcome back to the practice, I'll pretend that I don't recognize that I saw you in season two and you met your demise. First you were a killer, but now you're set free. First appearance, mainly filler, but you had a goatee. You may be fooling someone dimmer, but you don't fool me. We're going to hear the judge, but you just might be. Welcome back to the practice tonight. There it is. So Gary Cole back, but this time as attorney Brian Seabury. Let's see what he has to say. What do you say? Yeah, sure. I, I, I can't hit the button. The time you have health insurance. I'm all discombobulated. No. So she never knew that she had an abnormal uterus. What? No. That's and my you wife. At the hospital, you told them that your wife was in labor. Yes. You didn't suspect that anything was wrong. At the time, I thought it was just a painful labor. Clearly, it was not just that. I understand. Thank you. I'm all done. Except to say that we're all so so sorry about what happened. You know, Keith, I don't know if it's going to get lost in the cut, but I had a great joke uh, about Tara. Did you hear it when you were blipping out? I did. I oh, did. Okay. I did hear it. I hope it's lost to antiquity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, great joke. It's uh, an oversell. It's a, I mean, it, if you saw Office a, Space, it was uh, that, tangentially related. 
May I respond to that? We all love office space. <laughs> There's no question and before you, sir. I'd like to respond to his statement that he's sorry. I sat through four depositions, and never once did this attorney show any remorse, contrition. Move to strike. But in front of the jury, he's suddenly compassionate. Okay, Mr. Quillen, you've made nice. your point. You're angry at me. Yes, I am. I'm informed that after your wife died, you stopped going to church. According to several of your friends, you're angry at God. Is that fair? Maybe. So you're angry at the doctor, you're angry at me, even angry at God. Given that you never got your wife any prenatal care whatsoever, when a simple checkup perhaps could have saved her life, Damn. are you at all angry with yourself? Damn. Yeah, well, there you go. It's the, uh... Some might say he has a Gary cold heart. <laughs> Would some say that? Anybody? Anybody? Now I, keeps uh, hoping he blips out of existence. I know. That can, can I, see, at this point, I'm just going to pretend to blip out. Yes. <laughs> oh, no, I've been raptured. Bye. Uh, I'm not here anymore. Golly. golly. All right. Well, so we have a we have a new case. So I can't tell. Are we on the defense side? It looks like we're on the defense side, but it seems like he's suing the no, hospital. No, we're, we're on the prosecution side. Okay. Yeah, but they're on the right side of the courtroom. House right. Well, it's a civil this case, not a criminal uh, case. Eugene, if you're about to fire somebody, you have to meet with a labor lawyer. It would be corporate negligence for you not to do this so. This is Richard Holden. Yeah, even so. Is this an administrative employee? No, or? he's an associate who acts like a partner, which is part of the problem. I guess what we're are talking the about if we can oh, fire him. Where do I start? Um, he's unethical, insubordinate. Finally. He sexually harasses. He's even committed criminal acts. Problem is, he's also brought in a lot of money, so he may try to claim that he's a de facto partner. When you say a lot of money, for the last six months, more than all the other lawyers combined. Damn. Okay, Alan Shore. You may have a problem. He's also the only one we give case to. Right. During the course now, of I understand. labor, her right, so we're, we're about to make a distinction here. And they're not going to know. ultimately was the cause of death. Oh, we haven't got through she the credits yet? Yes. <laughs> In your opinion, doctor, could Dr. Platt have prevented Mary Quillen's death? Could have and should have. She was in severe pain. She wasn't dilating. A C-section was indicated, and he failed to perform one. This death was easily preventable. The autopsy showed that Mrs. Quillen had an abnormally small uterus, which might have caused it to rupture. Correct. But Dr. Platt had no way of knowing this, did he? Mrs. Quillen never had a prenatal exam. Many women don't have prenatal exams. Doctors still manage to give them adequate care. Your client didn't. I like that. I see. Were you in the delivery room that night, doctor? We're using no, our two female attorneys for this. The patient was least. in labor for an hour. Yes. He saw her suffering severe upper abdominal pain. He knew her contractions had stopped. He had more than enough information to do an immediate C-section. And failing to do have so... Have you been paid by the plaintiff to give your opinion today? My opinion is not for sale, counsel. It's based on the facts presented to me. But a lot of those facts were not available to my client that <laughs> night in the ER, were they, doctor? Perhaps not, even Thank so. Thank you. And though your opinions aren't for sale, how much are you being paid for today's court appearance? $3,000. And how many times have you testified this is Helen in medical Carey. malpractice? Objection. This is irrelevant. 
Your Honor? Did the judge just die? The judge is down. That's so bizarre, man. Judge down. King Stewart. Now what? I don't know. If he's know okay, either. it could just be a delay. If he's not, we could get a mistrial. Which means... We might have to start all over again. The earliest I could possibly get out is seven. I'm so psyched that Kelly dressed. Williams is here. Where are you going at seven? One second. At least behind the camera. Should I come? This is personal. Man trouble? Do you mind? Tara, if it is a man, I could be of tremendous help. In a prior life, I was here in Odebergerac. Well, I'll keep that in mind. To whom am I talking? This is Tara's uncle from the more disturbing branch of the family. Stop it. Have you two been kissing? Alan! Go to the corner and sit. I'm just trying to help. Okay. Like, I can't decide if that's, like, flirty and fun or that's is don't tell shitty. She's a partner. She's also his friend, and she'll tell him. Now, if he takes clients of files, then what? So, how does this go down? Well, as we fire him, we send out pre-written letters by registered mail to all our clients, explaining the split, inviting them to stay with us. We also have a locksmith on standby to change the locks. We change the passwords on the computers. All of this has to happen as we fire him, not a minute before. Because if we jump the gun, he can paint it as bad faith. As opposed to being on the up and up. Yeah, but I thought that they already they already determined. Alan was like, yeah, you can fire me if I if I brought any shame to the he didn't seem like he was gonna put up a fight. I guess they're just they know his tactics. I, I mean, I think by this point. Yeah, that well they, they they certainly don't trust him, right? Mm -hmm. And and nor should they. And which is why they're they're going through like a pretty serious you know planning for the for the firing. Like this is uh I you know it's I, I have a clip for the appropriate moment uh for no, this for this moment cuz it's uh you know it, it's a familiar feeling. It's a dirty business, Jimmy, but according to labor council it's the only way we can do it. I need two votes. You with me? Yeah, the dude is a, is a loose cannon. I guess they're liking those millions and millions. Well, I mean, this should have happened so long ago, but it is crazy how they're having the to do it. good news is Judge Zeldin is okay. The bad news is doctors are prescribed bed rest and he can't continue. So I'll this is go. John Sterling Carter clerk back as Judge Mantle. Do you think that's wise? Why isn't it? You've expended two court days already. It certainly makes sense to keep going if possible. Nobody's been prejudiced. We have a little problem. You remember we told you about the Massachusetts Charitable Immunity Act, limiting damages in medical malpractice cases? You said judges sometimes strike it. I did. And Judge Zeldin was one such judge. Judge Mantle is not. He seems to honor the cap. So? The most money we could get here is now $20,000. What I think we should do is try to settle it for that. 
No. Hmm. Tom? I will not settle my wife's life for $20,000. I'd rather take the moral victory of a big verdict than walk away for... Tom, I cannot in good conscience expend thousands of dollars on expert witnesses and expend our time when... I didn't get a doctor because I'm poor. Now you're saying I don't get a lawyer. That's not fair. We have put in hundreds of hours on this case. Then why quit now, in the middle of trial? Because as I said, this judge... I want a verdict. I want the jury sending these people a message. These people, in this case, is an insurance company. The only message they're equipped to receive is numerical, and they are immune on this. If you want us to keep going, we will. You got to. Why? Because he hired us, Eugene. To win a judgment that now you cannot get. This judge is fair Look, and... she's a partner. It's billing out at 400 an hour. Law. You bill out at 250. This case could take a week. Pay no attention to him, Jamie. Good for you. I feel the mean man glaring at me. This doesn't concern you. Oh, but it does, Eugene. I can tell her how to win. How? I know Judge Mantle. He's a man given to compassion. And better yet, politics. If you shock his conscience, get some media down there to shed some light on that conscience, out of the goodness of both heart and career, he'll probably do the right thing. I have a reporter from WXDE. She owes me a favor. It's biblical, but I'm sure she'd be thrilled to compromise herself professionally instead. Go, tell your story, Jamie. The cap is wrong. The woman died having a baby, for God's sake. The man deserves more than 20,000. Be an advocate. Fix the problem. Go, team, go. Ra! Alan's definitely... Is... Tara. Like... Jimmy, my office, please. Why is he obsessed with antagonizing everybody? That's the part I don't understand about the character. Like, you know, he's all... You know, he's weird, he's fucked up, he's got all these, you know, weird quirks about him, but he's just now intentionally antagonizing Eugene and Jimmy for no particular reason that I'm aware of. Yeah, I mean, like, the only thing I would put to it is that maybe um, he's just, like, because his best friend just scorned him and, like, played him like a fool, maybe he's just, like, scorched earth now. I mean... Sure. But why this... Why is he scorching this particular earth? Because he, he was doing it for long before then. Yeah, you almost think like the correct proper arc would have been for him to go to Eugene and be like, I think it's time you fire me. You know, this is weird that they're going to backdoor him. It's just the whole thing is weird so far. Or or if, like, throughout this season, he's been held back by Eugene or Jimmy or whatever. Like, it's he's having, he's sort of being told no and he's having, like, actually being boxed in, which would... Under, which would explain why he's resisting so much and pushing back so much. Yeah, maybe. You're right. In in that it lacks good explanation, <laughs> that's pretty accurate. It doesn't make any sense, yeah. I feel like coffee and a croissant, shall we? This is confidential information. It is a partner matter. You are not to share this information with anybody other than Jimmy and me. Is she a partner? Clear? 
Clearly okay. not. He, Jimmy is now. We need to have all the computer passwords changed by Thursday oh, okay. noon. The new password, which I will give you, you will not divulge to anyone. Okay. You will also get a letter prepared by Labor Council. Which letter you have to type on our stationery and prepare to send by registered mail to all our clients. This too, by Thursday noon. Okay. This is extremely confidential. I will trust you to respect that confidence. Well, maybe Alan, maybe this is his jettison to start his own practice, which could then spin off a television series. Ooh, that's a good idea. You know, one that could be much wackier without, bun you know, bumping up against the fact that this is the real world. Gee, I hope she doesn't suspect anything. Well, we can't do it without her. Yeah, yeah couldn't I guess you can't just say you're fired. We're a charity Well, hospital. you can't without protecting course, yourself if you don't trust them. But it never affects the quality of our care. C-sections are about twice as expensive as natural childbirth. Is that accurate? Yes, but... And who pays the additional costs? Typically, the insurance company. If the patient has insurance, what if she This is Stephen Mendillo. Then the hospital would pay. But that's not why we encourage natural birth. It's safer, the recovery time is shorter, and frankly, too many doctors perform unnecessary C-sections. But at St. Teresa's, women without health insurance are five times less likely to have a C-section than women with insurance. So... That's true of most charity hospitals. That's your excuse? They all do it? We are not forcing poor women to have dangerous births. And I take offense when How you... How many women able to pay for a C-section have ever been refused one? I like when Jamie goes I'm at not it. certain. None. The only women refused are impoverished. Poverty has nothing to do with this. Poverty is what killed Mary. That's Objection, a lie. argumentative. Sustained. True or false, doctor? If Mary Quillen had the money to pay for a C-section, she would still be alive today. False. That is false. Most women want to give birth naturally, do they not? Absolutely. In fact, the movement to encourage natural childbirth is very much a feminist issue. Has St. Teresa's policy of reducing C-sections been reviewed by the state's medical board? Yes, our policy has been approved as safe and appropriate. Has your hospital or Dr. Platt ever been disciplined by the state medical board for what happened here? No, because as terrible as this outcome was, we did nothing wrong. Did nothing wrong? How many affluent women die delivering babies? Even the ones that do, at least the hospital tries to save them. But, you know, that's not really the point. What is? Doctors and hospitals make mistakes. Mistakes happen. But to shield them from liability. I'm all for tort reform. But to put a $20,000 cap on a wrongful death is just wrong. And most states wouldn't even consider this, and Massachusetts shouldn't either. John Kerry can't possibly support this. Ted Kennedy, I know, doesn't. I am hopeful that Judge Mantle will reject this as well. That was a cheap That's shot, Mr. Stringer. Mm -hmm. I would think you'd have the integrity to at least try this case in the courtroom. Is that why you asked for this meeting? To lecture me. You'll be lucky if you don't get censured by the bar, but that's not why I called for the meeting. Against my advice, the client is prepared to offer you $100,000, sealed, no admission. 
First of all, a woman died. 100,000. Is 80 more than you'd otherwise get under the cap? Then why would the hospital offer it? The hospital didn't. I'm making the offer. Out of your own pocket? Yes, and I'll tell you why. Robert. No, let's just deal straight. Does that yeah. violate some attorney code of conduct? If I lose here, cap or not, my insurance carrier will drop me. They do it to OBGYNs all the time. They will do it to me. You've said enough. You represent the hospital and the insurance company, Brian. Nobody's really speaking for me here. I'd like to. I have never been found by any medical review board to have committed any malpractice, ever. And yet, I've been sued seven times. Wow. We are getting sued out of business, and... This is an interesting not, new wrinkle. I am not in this profession for the money. I'm a doctor, a pretty damn good one. My father was an OBGYN. It's all I ever wanted to be. If you win in court, the most you can get is 20. I'm offering you 100. And I'm not taking it. Okay, Tom. You killed I... my wife. No, you contributed oh, to that I'm by not, not ever getting free. I'm not the one. Eleanor. The offer is rejected. Let's go. I'm offering you every penny I have. And it's not enough. And you the can see in Jamie's performance, she's starting to question the side that she's on. That doctor, great performance there. I mean, there was sincerity there. You know what I mean? Because yeah. often, I think, in these cases, we present that <clears throat> usually, and not always, I, I don't mean to paint in a, with a, the broadest of brushes, but usually the side we're against, big tobacco, big pharma, right. cancer cluster, you know, there's some an insidious nature to the cover-up on the other side. Here, at least, right. I'm not speaking for the hospital, I'm speaking for the doctor, it does seem like the doctor is is doing what is best for well maybe not best but he does have contrition and he is trying to uh he's trying to do the right thing so uh, that is new at least yeah yeah well it's like it's he as from the point of view of the doctor is getting there you know both sides are getting screwed by the larger system mm -hmm. here mm -hmm. and uh, that makes for a much more interesting case because there's no clear good guy and bad guy it's 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 a little murkier. Working kind of late. Oh no, I'm just pretending so as to impress and inspire my office mates. What are you gonna do, Tara? Eugene's hired a labor law firm for something. <coughs> All the computer passwords are being changed. It looks like someone's getting fired. Wow. Sold him right out. I'm sure it's nothing. Alan doesn't seem. I mean, he clearly knows what's up. Oh yeah. Tara. Thank you. 
for wildly betraying your employers. Well, clearly she's coming along for the ride to the new show, Keith. Is she, in, is she on? Can you uh, tell me whether she's on Boston Legal or not? I'm not giving you spoilers. Is episode no spoilers, one them sir. just doing the nasty in front of Shatner? <laughs> That's... I'm all for tort reform. But to put a $20,000 cap on a wrong... It's getting play. They had Skype I back guess then? That's good. You ready for the doctor? I think so. It wasn't, it's not Skype, hard, I think right? it's a video. I would. Clearly he has a button. If you can get him to go Howard Dean up there, that could help. Hey, Keith, hey, run it all Howard Dean, Vermont! Dean Scream? Jamie, we need to accomplish two goals here. First, to get a favorable verdict, which will be tough, because between you and me, I'm not sure this doctor committed any negligence. And second, even should we win, the judge has to be outraged enough to strike the cap. Now, the book on this judge is that he does rule from emotion sometimes. So go for it. I've got the draft letter pretty much done. Uh, I emailed it to the labor lawyer. He sent it back with some minor changes, but I want you to review it, too. When do we tell Eleanor? She's back from court at lunch. We'll tell her then, just before we tell him. Eugene, what listen, I've been having trouble getting into my computer. I was wondering. He's Joey Harrigan. He's Joey Harrigan. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Password's been changed, but I'd know if there were a new password, wouldn't I? I mean, you wouldn't change it behind my back, would you? That's something. This is like Jimmy the Joker, do, but not. Oh, hello, Jimmy. I didn't see you there at first. Like, what camera is he using though, for this? Following closely as usual, <laughs> waiting for orders, hoping for a few. Scraps. Anyway, Eugene, forgive me if I seem overly concerned, but well, it's just people have screwed me over in the past. And I don't like getting screwed over. Okay, that makes sense. You've been a bad, bad cowboy. Get him in here. Eugene, get him in here now. Wow. <laughs> this is happening. Thousands of babies over my. This career. is happening. Well, I, I mean, never it's going to go bad. Case. You were monitoring her. Did you miss anything? I have so I don't many think thoughts. So. Had she seen a doctor during her pregnancy, I would have known about her uterine abnormality, and I probably would have gone with a C-section sooner. Probably would have. Natural childbirth is always preferred for the baby and the mother. Doing C-sections without cause is bad medicine. She wasn't in labor that long, and we had no warning she was in danger. Predicting uterine rupture in a healthy woman who never gave birth before is almost impossible. This was a tragedy, but it is not one we could have avoided. The Quillens told you they didn't have the money for prenatal care. That had nothing to do with the treatment I gave her. My question, doctor, did you know they couldn't pay for treatment? Yes. You also knew they didn't have insurance, correct? Yes. So you knew that whatever treatment they got, the hospital was going to have to eat it. I did not put that woman's life at risk to save money. She had only been in labor an hour. It would have been inhumane to just cut her open without cause. Any doctor... She was screaming in pain. She was in labor. It's you painful. You weren't even there. I was there. You weren't. How many obstetricians were on duty that night at the hospital? Just me. The other obstetricians had quit because... Objection. 
Sustained. You were the only OBGYN on duty that night. And in fact, you hadn't slept for two nights before Mary Quillen came in. You were overseeing five other patients. I was not tired. I was no business. You were exhausted and overworked. I was and not. And you made a bad decision. I did the best I could. She came in to have a baby. She's dead. I, and you did the best? I didn't do anything you wrong. You didn't do anything at all. I did everything I could. You know what, counsel? I will tell you this. Objection. Doctor. When that judge went face down the other day, I froze. I wanted to run up. I'm a doctor, for God's sake, but I was too afraid of getting sued, so... Did you freeze in the emergency room No, I did not. But many doctors Dr. might. Dr. Platt. You know, you're the problem. You're the problem. Dr. Platt, you're that the is enough. I mean... She got him to lose his cool, which may I assume was her was what she was going for. Did I go too hard? I don't think so. Yeah. You had to go after him. You had no choice. Is your closing ready? Uh, not exactly, but I'll work on it. May I please speak to you? Doctor, you're represented by counsel. I realize that, but my counsel has a conflict. He represents the hospital and the insurance company. Then you need to retain another lawyer. We can't. 200000 I would need time to refinance my house, but. I don't think our client is going to move for two. You people are lawyers. You know what it's like to be held hostage by insurance carriers. If I get any unfavorable verdict, they drop me. Without coverage, I can't practice. Dr. Platt, you're represented by counsel. We cannot be having this discussion. I'm sorry. That's a tough... Like, Eleanor is being so professional there, but... It's so weird because in this, like, whatever is happening in this storyline with Alan and the firm, it's juxtaposed with, like, a really nuanced plot line involving sort of being held hostage by insurance carriers, what the roles of, of right. who's protecting who in medical malpractice. I mean, it's a really nuanced conversation, <laughs> but it's juxtaposed with, like, whatever this is. Very Joe Herrick. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because there's so many like I I think the 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 medical case I think is is fascinating and I think it, it does some of the stuff that I like right. It's calling attention to a flawed system where sort of everybody's sort of screwed by the flawed system, um, and uh, but Alan going like super villain when he feels like he's getting fired like i i would love to say that like oh how dare he and yet like i 100 percent did it that way too so <laughs> well, in fact yeah totally uh, totally but it, it just it makes totally get it and it's within his character and all and he's i i feel like probably had they come to him and sat down and been like yo this stuff is adding up. This latest case, you know, obviously is like we did a, it's bad press because it's now all up in the public record that we're taking bribes and shit or that you're, you know, offering bribes and stuff. So I think it's probably best that we part ways and let's find the best way to do it. He, they had a better shot uh, of him not going scorched earth. Yeah. Cause it's, I, I don't understand. I mean, and I think they've sort of storytelling wise forced him there for longer than feels credible because, you know, he's, he has said like, I'm not trying to take you down. And they're like, that's too far. And they haven't just said like, you know what, this isn't working out. Yeah. And what I find really interesting, and we can talk about it later, obviously is um, 
what they're trying to say because, Keith, I would say that it's totally inconsistent because, like they said, Alan came in and he's like, look, I'm not trying to screw you guys. You know, I would never bring shame to the firm. Maybe they just, like, forgot that conversation, but it was in the previously on this week. I did forgot to mention. Like, they re-highlighted that conversation before showing – so they clearly seem to be painting Jimmy – forget Jimmy – painting Eugene as the antagonist here, even though – Prior to this episode, I feel like he was in he was in the in the right. I don't, I don't think that I guess it could go either well, way. See, I'm but, not sure uh, that I'm I guess we'll see how it plays out. You need me? Yes, close the door, please. I, yeah, I'm not sure that they're painting Is Eugene as the antagonist. Something here. sexual? No, I'm on team Eugene hundred percent. I had been. I'm just saying uh, we'll talk. Here maybe We've this is the conversation. To let you go. Ah. Go where? You're being discharged. Why? Well, let's call it philosophical differences. <laughs> Seems fair. I'd like you to leave immediately. Is Eleanor in on this? Eleanor doesn't know yet, but she'll be informed. I suppose you've already managed to copy files. I'll remind you that that's illegal. Wait, though. isn't cameraman in my boss illegal too? Eugene, I don't need to copy files. No. And most of the corporate clients here are mine anyway. You brought them in, but once you did so, they became clients of the firm. Here's a check representing two weeks severance pay. Mm. Two weeks? That's generous. Should have been thrown I've on his ass. I've fees in excess of $6 million. You've handed me a check for 15000 You can keep it. You're a very talented lawyer, Alan. But you don't fit in here. We'll be happy to give you a good recommendation. Now, it's time for you to go. Eugene, is it sexual? <laughs> Goodbye, Alan. I'm keeping checkers. Tara? Now, uh, now I think we should stop here because this feels like a great moment. For uh, to uh, for for our good friend Alan to sing a little tune uh, from a certain show that I wrote called. I feel like you might want to say, Fuck you! Take this job! Go! Yeah, so uh, it, it, so many parallels here, including the changing of passwords, the, 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 uh, where, the technological where, what is that, tit for tat. That's the uh, live from Korea. Nice. Is that on VDO or is that an audio? Uh, that what we're listening to there is audio. I do have video. Great, it's shot from the back of the house. But I do have a, a. I've got the whole cast recording on the, off the board. Well, I'm just saying. Uh, CEO Jen's never seen or heard the score, and she. I would love her to hear it, but. Oh, all uh, right. Another conversation. Yeah, another time. Uh, another I also time. did some. I did some. I have some some troubleshooting information for us, Keith. We can talk about off air. Okay, great. 
Fun, fun. No. Not fun. Alan Shore seemed to know this was coming. Did you tell him? Yes. I'm sorry. I owe you a lot, Eugene, and it wasn't my intent to betray you. Really? Well, you and did. You directly I... did. I guess I like him. You told me he repelled you. He so often does. But it turns out that I consider him a friend. Your employment here is terminated. You'll be given two weeks severance. You're discharged. But Eugene, there's so many episodes left. Drummer's killing it. Oh, that's a Grammy-nominated buddy of mine from Eastman. So he, he's 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 real good. Lucy? Hey! Mike, look up! Eleanor. How are you? Look up! Oh, Lucy! Good. <laughs> Stop fiddling with your phone and look you. up! How have you been? I got Lucy! I got Lucy today! They're all coming back so they can afford a snack in their real lives! But I'm gonna continue to expound my love for Marla Sokolov. Welcome back! Yeah. You missed me! I oh, obviously she's like I'm gonna come back to this show 18 years ago for Mike and Deglio who I've never met and am only peripherally aware of. Counselor, <laughs> well, it's not a lot of laughs, but oh, she's a full-time counselor. Thanks you for the exposition. Were wonderful. What what brings you by? You just saying hello? Uh, no, I'm just filling in in a pinch. Filling in? Oh yeah, Tara got fired too, Eleanor. Where's Tara? Eleanor. Can we talk to you for a second? We fired all of your friends. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Without telling you. Forty minutes ago, we fired Alan. I'm you should sorry? know. He's Jimmy pissed. and I agreed that on balance he was a detriment to the firm. Whoa, so. Whoa, whoa! You and Jimmy agreed. Why wasn't because I? Because you're his friend. As well as a partner with a voting... We were trying to insulate you from a conflict. That's crap! Why wasn't I told? Because we feared you'd tell him, and he's still clients or files or both. Well, it turns out Tara tipped him off, so she was fired as well. How dare you make a unilateral decision without It me? wasn't unilateral. Jimmy and I... I am a partner in this firm. For you to go behind my back... You're his friend! I'm your friend! You have a duty of honesty to me. As do you, to she did Alan, say duty. Which we couldn't risk you honoring, not at the expense of the firm. The firm? The firm is you, it's me, and it's Jimmy. And Jamie and Tara. Who you just fired. Because she betrayed and us. Eugene! He had to go. I don't care how much money he brought in. He lied, he broke all the rules. He served every one of us. No, he did not! The firm Bobby Donald turned over to us is one of integrity. The name on this place is reputation. It means something. That man demeans the practice of law. He demeaned this firm. He disrespected you, Jimmy, and me. I don't care if we have to scrape for rent. This firm will always maintain its dignity. 
character has to count for something, Eleanor, and if it does, that man has no place. Great scene. Love this scene. And I love it because I agree with both of them. Yep. Like Eugene is 100% right in everything, going. and she's Jenny, right that she should have been told. Um, sure. I'm just in no emotional state to, uh, I understand. Uh, I'm, I'm fine. If the judge asks, I'll just tell him you're not feeling very well. Thank you. I better get to court. Welcome back. Uh, I know things are a little awkward here, hmm. but... Uh... Seems funner than before. Lucy, did all the letters go out? I checked throughout. Okay. Uh, thank you for... Uh... No problem. How's Bobby? Did I talk to him? Does anybody know what any of the rest of the cast is doing? Everyone says frivolous lawsuits are destroying medicine. Insurance companies blame lawyers for driving up health costs. But you know what? It's a lie. Malpractice suits are down nationally. Doctors and hospitals are making more money than ever. The most recent study shows that for every lawsuit filed, there are at least 10 acts of gross malpractice that never lead to any action. New laws are making it harder and harder to even bring these cases. Yet almost 100 thousand Americans died last year because doctors and oh. hospitals made mistakes. One hundred thousand. Mary Quillen died because she couldn't afford a C-section. That's worse than negligence. It's discrimination. And it happens every day. It's somehow become bad business to treat the poor. And healthcare has become a national disgrace. A message needs to be sent. I don't have the power. But you do. Like, yes, but to the hospital, not to this individual doctor. <coughs> this country, the richest on earth, fails to provide adequate prenatal care to poor women. Had Mary been able to get a prenatal exam, Dr. Platt would have known that her uterus was abnormal and he likely would have ordered that C-section. But because he didn't know, he had no basis for performing a C-section on her until it was too late. One reason for the state of healthcare in this country, by the way, a big reason, litigation. Your Honor. She opened the door on this. I'll allow it. Fear of litigation is driving healthcare costs into orbit. Doctors routinely order expensive tests to cover themselves in case they get sued. And according to Newsweek magazine, we waste 50 to $100 billion, billion, on what's called defensive medicine. Physicians are now afraid to discuss their mistakes with each other because candor can be used against them in court. But you know the worst part, good doctors men and women in the business of healing, like Dr. Platt, are being driven out because they can't afford coverage. He couldn't foresee an abnormal uterus. This wasn't his fault. 
But hey, anybody and everybody gets to sue. The problem is, win or lose, he loses. And so do we all. I really don't know where I come down on this because, like you said, they're both kind of right. Yeah, it's I mean, I, it's a fascinating case. I like it. Yeah, plus, you know, and, and it often is the case with, um, I think, civil suits, many civil suits, that obviously this guy whose life has been turned upside down no amount of money is going to bring right. his wife back, is no. going to bring him any sort of relief. And so the question becomes, what is the suit about? Right. So he's got a daughter and a new baby, and I'm sure that hundred grand, two hundred grand would be very helpful to him. Yeah. Yeah. But but also you run the risk of getting nothing. And should you should you win and get twenty thousand, now you've you've yeah, you've done nothing but ruin this guy's career, which maybe is what he's looking to do. Well, from his point of view, he's angry. He is trying to do that. Yeah. But, and, you know, and, and of course we're drawing attention to that, you know, the law, the $20,000 cap is is absurd. However, the points about, you know, like so, so many lawsuits causing, like, it's 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 complicated. It's interesting. I, I like the discussion. So now Tara, is this Tara? Or, no, this is Eleanor, is going Eleanor. to someone someone's house. Uh, right. Uh, but we've seen this doorway many times. Yeah, it's on the Paramount back, back lot, or the ABC back lot, or whoever. Definitely does not look like the front of Alan's house. But no, she's just Alan walking has a house. in. It's a brownstone. Is this BD? No, it's a woman. What's well, her? Hey, is he here? Oh, I've been calling him actually. I'm trying him again now. Hello, you've reached Alan Shore. I'm currently with a prostitute. If you'd like to leave a message, I've left him six messages. That should be Zone yours, 10. Mike. Come on. Okay. I don't even know what my voicemail sounds like. The only Listen, people call Tara, it are like telemarketers. I'm very sorry that it... I deserve to get fired. Eleanor. Yeah. I betrayed Eugene. At I'm least she's clear-eyed about it. For it. Mm -hmm. Better than I was. If I hear from you... I wrote you a musical. Know. A revenge musical. Okay. Thanks. Did you deserve to be fired, Keith? hundred <laughs> percent. That said, it was uh, they were shitty too. Everybody was shitty, but yes, of course I deserve to be fired. You know, Keith, that was the perfect end of the musical. Is like right after curtain call, I just I just stroll on stage and I just go, Hey Keith, did you deserve to get fired? And you go, hundred percent. And the curtain comes down. <laughs> <laughs> In a song called Epilogue. Uh, I didn't think I I didn't think so then, but looking the back jury on it now. Yes, we have, Your Honor. Question one: <laughs> Was the hospital or Doctor Platt negligent in the death rewrite. of Mary <laughs> I'll say you. We, the jury, find Doctor Platt and the hospital guilty of negligence. Oh, 20 grand. Question two refers to damages. Have you reached a decision on that question? Yes, Your Honor. We, the jury, find Dr. Platt and the hospital jointly and severally liable and order them to pay the Quillen family $3.6 million. 
Defense moves to reduce the judgment to the statutory cap of 20,000. Opposed. Your Honor has the discretion to lift the cap. There is no authority for that discretion in the legislative Your definition. Your Honor can rely on precedent where Those judgments... Those precedents are certainly not binding, Your Honor. The law is wrong. Which is exactly why most states did away with the charity caps 50 years ago. You're right, Ms. Stringer. The law is archaic, perhaps even immoral. But it is the law. But as a judge, I'm bound to uphold it. The verdict of $3.6 million is vacated by statute. The verdict is capped at 20,000. Members of the jury, you're dismissed with thanks. This matter is adjourned. suppose the inevitable outcome I'm sorry we'll appeal and we'll ask for the full judgment but it's okay you at least got a verdict I'm grateful for that maybe it'll be heard let's hope so I wish you well Tom thank you and please thank Eleanor for me I will I don't know about you, Keith, but... For somebody who was just ostensibly lost $180,000, he was remarkably cool. Well, I think he wanted the, the statement more than the... Probably could use the money, but it was more about the statement. Well, we've seen this bar before. And Eleanor's tracked down. Our good friend, Alan Shore. Bobby McAllen. What's new? I'm composing a musical. I'm sorry. I didn't know. I know you didn't. I'm going to try to dissuade them. Eleanor, it's a place of work, nothing more. It's the little things in life I find annoying. If you could just get Tara's job back, she didn't deserve. Hey, my friend, you and I are going to see a lot of each other. Everything's fine, Eleanor, I promise. You can catch me next season. I'd even go so far as to say it's all for the best, so let's see a smile. I didn't figure you'd go so quietly. Who said anything about going quietly? Oh, boy. Eleanor, I give you my word. This is going to get very ugly not to worry yikes if that doesn't sound like a setup for next week that sounds like a setup for next week kids okay
Well, I mean, I suppose we're you know it, we're headed for the the inevitable there, and I and I like it. I mean, I don't, I I don't dislike this coming to a head. I have notes on getting there, but uh, I I don't dislike it. But before we uh, call balls and strikes on what we like and don't like, we have some very important segments to do, starting with Mike's. Eugene Fires. Oh. Sure. Alan is fired. Uh huh. Uh, Doctor is sued hard. A doctor, a doctor is, is liable. Sued, is li- a doctor is liable. There you go. <laughs> Collaboration this week. Uh, sure won't go easy. Yeah. Okay. Hey, hey we got there. We got there. <laughs> Let's <All> get right. <laughs> here. <laughs> Let's Ladies do it. Ladies and gentlemen, the Out of Practice Podcast in unofficial unsolicited, unfactual association with David E. Kelly Productions proudly present Oopsie! The Oopsies! Celebrating excellence in acting good, lawyering good, guesting good, and being Tom Brady. Not to mention, this is where we rate the episode and stuff. Now, here are your hosts, Keith and Mike! Oh, what the hell breaking the news! Oh, sorry, Jackie. Breaking news. Uh, you just spoiled it for, for CEO Jen. I spoiled what? She just found out that Alan got fired. Oh, well, I mean, she, he had it coming, honey. <laughs> All right. You want to know what else we have coming? Uh, a little segment that begins with... God help everyone who listens to that. Oof. <laughs> um, Never stops being funny. Well, I think we've established that Alan is the most valuable lawyer of the firm, but uh, unfortunately, he's on the out, and nobody's really acting, behaving uh, maturely here. Although it turns out, I guess Eugene was right to pr- try to protect themselves, even though Alan... Yeah. He, he should have known Alan has all the passwords. Um, But this week, I guess... We got to give it to Jamie, who yep. did what she was asked to do, which was get a verdict and get uh, that that poor doctor's career and life ruined. So uh, yeah, yeah. I guess, well, I mean, I guess succeeded against her own personal feelings. It seems mm-hmm. at least that's what we got from her performance. So uh, yeah. So uh, congratulations, Jamie Stringer, on your fake award coming up next. Already, Already famous, famous. been on TV, getting a paycheck. Our first entry on your IMDb. Way, Way to, to go! go. You're the best guest actor. Skidididididit. Guest actor. Skidididididit. Guest actor on the episode. Skidididididididit. 
And for the first time, best guest actor eligible, Marla Sokolov is eligible this week. Oh, I don't think she's a winner, but I think she's eligible. I'd love to give it to her. Uh, the award, Keith. Um, so I think that the gentleman who played the doctor this week. Jeremy Davidson. Jeremy Davidson gave a great performance fueled with anger, disgust, pathos, contrition, all difficult things to pronounce and also to perform. And I thought that he did so with a dignity, clarity, and... Are you just, like, sounding out words to prove that you can? <laughs> a dignity. And a cornucopia of emotional resonance. Uh, <laughs> no, I thought he was great. Um, An and onomatopoeia. In a, in, in a yeah. person who usually sits in that chair is either just, like, a, a frothing villain or relegated to like six lines. So I thought it was a great a great role for an extra. Uh, it was a great role for a guest star and uh, well done. A great role for a guest star. Yeah, I, I thought he did great. I mean, and, and I think he has to sort of turn this episode emotionally, right? Because we're, we're starting out like, ah, fuck this guy. And mm -hmm. now we have to do the turn where we start to feel compassion for him and the situation that he's in. And that's entirely on his performance. Mm -hmm. And and I think that was uh, very well done. So congratulations, Jeremy Davidson, on your best guest actor. Now it's time for... You killed your podiatrist or blew the case. But you let us in with your down your face. You're the best actor on the show. Uh, we had a lot of actually great performances, and, and there was nobody sort of was like this was their episode. So, you know, I think that for me, I think Jamie, uh, uh, I think mm. Jamie really had the like, the the star turn here, but but the scene I loved the most was between Steve Harris and Cameron Mannheim in the office there because it showed, it really felt like there was emotional stakes. It really felt like those emotions were raw, and it felt like they were they were it was raw nerves exposed, and so I'm yep. conflicted as to you know and Steve Harris, you know, it was a tough a tough job for him because he was playing a lot of aggravated type emotions throughout this episode. And so that's a tough lift. And, but, but Cameron also had, I'm really, I'm really torn. So I'm hoping that we can get, we can come to a split ski between Cameron Mannheim and Steve Harris, but I'm going to put well, mine on Cameron because I ah. think that she had the more nuanced portrayal and then she of showing guilt and anger and betrayal and then friendship to Alan and Tara at the end. So I'm going to say Cameron. Yeah, I, well, I I completely agree. The best scene in the episode was was the confrontation between Steve Harris and Cameron Mannheim, which was earned, and it was big. It was real big, you know. Kelly let them just sort of go for it, um, but I think earned, and I think that was it was a great scene because everybody was coming at it from a heightened place, but it was all legitimate. It was all fair. It was all right, and I think Steve. Uh, you know, went all the way to 11. But I, again, thought it was earned. 
So, uh, yes, we are splitsy with Steve and Cameron, which uh, leaves us only one more uh, rotting horse that we are dragging along behind us. The segment we call the Tom Brady Let's Pulverize Tom Brady. That Dead Horse. Well, Keith, mm. an interesting, interesting week in the Tom Brady Award for being Tom Brady because Ooh. you didn't know it before just now. But this is an out of practice podcast series wrap. What? For for Tom Brady because Keith is he tapping out early? No, but he has been fired. <gasps> he is fired from the podcast Tom Brady. Wow. Man, I hope we changed our passwords. <laughs> Maybe he's the one screwing up our, our internet. Yeah, he's already scorching earth. Oh, boy. There it wow. is. Fired so from let's the get podcast. A, let's get Tom a round Brady. of applause. A yes. series wrap. Yes, congratulations. Series wrap on Fired Tom Brady. Well, you know he wasn't going to go out uh, like you'd hope, like this. Let the eagle soar. Nope, that's not what happened. Like she's never soared. Coast to, to Golden, Golden Shore. Shore. I couldn't stop it because it's on a different menu. Yeah, all right, huh? there it is. Uh, all right, folks, let's do this. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to announce how many spare tires this episode gets. Um, I thought the legal portion of the episode was really strong. As we mentioned, it 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 it, it was kind of a, a flipsy dipsy because. We we did retread a little ground, whereas we get the we get the result we're looking for. We then get all of the money we're looking for, but then they the judge reneges it. In this case, it's because the law is archaic. So we were able to highlight that it wasn't that the judge found found it uh, too much. It was that you know there was a cap, and so I thought it was a really a really good not just exploration of that, but just a highlighting because I didn't know that they put caps. There was a mercy cap that that was a thing. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool. I also liked that it showed the fallout for the doctor, and they gave him a great scene where he got to explain explain the fallout. And also, you know, we saw Alan offer money out of his pocket before to kind of shortcut a case, and this was him, the doctor, trying to do a similar thing, but for a different reason. Right? This was coming from an actual place of. I mean, partial contrition, but also I think also a lot of trying to save his own career and ass. But that's understandable. You can't fault him for wanting to do that. And then there's a really kind of, maybe not super nuanced, but an attempt at a nuanced conversation about insurance and about the the socioeconomic fallout of, you know, or, or the the collateral damage when people don't have proper consistent care because they can't afford it. They're right. put into these life and death to sit. Now, this might seem like an extreme outlier case, but I imagine that this is not as, uh, yeah, an outlier as it seems, right? I'm sure this happens quite often. If you go to a doctor and they got to do surgery on you emergency and they don't have any, there are no records for you because you don't get to go to the doctor or you yep. seek care consistently, I imagine that could cause some problems. Definitely. So great conversation. And I think the way it, it played out was strong uh it lacked a lot of there wasn't any twists and turns but i guess that that's okay it was pretty pretty by the book so i, I would say it was an above average 
to good AKs. The the firm drama seems to have all of its all of the the pieces for to be very compelling uh, because we got some visits from old friends. We got we got uh, Eugene finally sticking up for for the principles, and I think you know an an, an, an important because all, because the pessimist in me kept saying. Don't get too high and mighty here. Obviously, Bobby did a lot of shady shit. We did a lot of shady shit under Bobby's leadership. But it was always sort of within the bounds of what we thought was right or thinking we were in the right, right? Doing right. things with maybe slightly outside the legal bounds, but be, but we thought we had the moral high ground. I'm not saying we did or we didn't. I'm just saying that's I believe they believed it. Whereas they've presented the majority of the time, they've presented Alan as not giving a shit. The ends justified right. the means, and the ends just was winning, right? So, I mean, he blatantly did illegal stuff, and he brought Tara along for the ride. So, and he knew it, and and when he was confronted with it, he usually agreed and was like, yeah, I'm trying not to get you guys involved by not telling you, but this is how I operate. This is how I'm going to continue to operate. Right, yeah. And, <laughs> you know, we've come to an interesting nexus point because to a degree eugene kind of has walked them into this quagmire he's allowed it for so long that now to try to like back out of it without any without any collateral damage in their wake is sort of silly so but you also are like it's about time right i feel like i feel like they're in the right but also, I guess tonally, my biggest problem is that Alan, they've set up as this sort of, I think it feels sort of like they're setting Alan up, like that we should feel bad for him or that we should be rooting for him. But I don't know that they've fully earned that. But on the flip, they've made him the central character and the driving force of the season. And so it's sort of like, yeah, you kind of feel forced to root for him, right? Like, there's here's my here's the issue. I feel like we're in tonal quicksand. I just... I don't know who I'm supposed to be rooting for. I don't know the outcome I'd like to see. I don't know if, if we just had three episodes where they didn't play it cutesy cutesy and it was really compelling drama. And I was like, yeah, this is what I love. But then now he's back to just snarky snark. We're not dealing with any of the fallout. They haven't tied any of his current behavior to the current, the fallout that just happened in the last arc. Eleanor still got this great dear friendship with him that really doesn't make any sense. They haven't really clarified other than it exists. I just feel like we're back into that tonal inconsistent quicksand. And the rage that Eugene is feeling, I wish I knew the source of that. It can't just be Alan. It feels like maybe they could have explored, oh, I, all this, all this, it feels like they touched the tip of it. Oh, there was dignity and Bobby left it to, entrusted it to us and 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 it's being spit on and and it feels like there's so much more of that well i wish we could have got to but they've been trying not to talk about bobby so i don't know i i feel like we're in an un uneven spot again the episode was like pretty good it was pretty good uh 7.8 one spare tires okay eh, 7.36 7.36 yeah i i think uh i'll try to be brief i i think that I think I like this more than you do, even though I all of the complaints I completely agree with, right? Um, 
the the healthcare case, I don't, I'm, you know, I think obviously I like the fact that it's it's calling into question some of these systematic issues um, and how uh, our our bad healthcare system, right, has victims on both sides of it, right? Because you know this this doctor. I don't know if he was negligent. Maybe he was. Maybe he wasn't. But also, but we learned in there he'd been he'd been working for forty eight straight hours. Yeah. Right. And that is a that shouldn't be happening. That's that is a miscarriage for everybody, for the doctor, mm-hmm. for all of his patients. So uh, even if he were was negligent, I think you could make a case that it's the healthcare system that's forcing him, the hospital system that's doing that. These for profit hospitals, these for profit profit healthcare systems and that if you compound on that the doctors being responsible for their insurance not their employers i think is another miscarriage of justice and and that these smaller doctors are really getting screwed mm-hmm. by the insurance costs and and those is, so that system needs to be fixed uh and so it really is a there's a lot wrong here and the person being who is most punished in this are the two most innocent people. The doctor who had been working for 48 straight hours, who didn't have the information that he should have had, had they been able to afford prenatal coverage, and the person who lost his wife. And, and I think that the, the, the people who are responsible for the problem, they got off with a $20,000 fine. Who gives a crap? Right. right? It's, it's nothing for them. So I think I like that end of it the, you know the alan thing um i'm i'm actually with eugene i think eugene's anger is is righteous and earned if anything if if there's if there's another source of anger beyond like you've we're supposed to have integrity and you're like ruining the integrity of this whole thing he's probably angry at himself for not dumping this guy a long time ago and for being sort of having having Alan horseshoed into the firm. It wasn't even his choice to hire him. He just sort of came in and then insinuated himself. And then because of the conflict with Eleanor, he it made it harder for him to dump this guy like he should have a million years ago. Um, so I don't know. I felt that was very earned. I think Eleanor's position, like this is my friend, and uh, and yet you know nobody understands him. He's, he's behaving in this wildly destructive way. And I think... I think the difference from Eugene's point of view, right, in terms of like, yeah, with Bobby, they did all this shady shit too. But they were doing, I think as you put out, they were doing all this shady shit in the service of justice to try to help their client or whatever. And there is some element of that with with Alan. Like, yes, he is trying to help people to some extent. But there's also a layer of I'm doing it for the fuck of it and mm-hmm. because I get off on the danger because I'm psychologically a mess. And that's very different. And and so Eugene is firing him for cause. And I'm sure we're going to talk about it a lot in the next episode. But, like, Eugene has, a, has every right to fire this guy. He had every right to fire Tara. I understand, like, some mercy could be could happen there eventually. And I, I, I think I get that. Um, anyway, as, as inconsistent as it may be, as unearned as it, as half-earned as it may be, I am here for this battle. Yeah, Let's I mean, go it's going to be war. interesting. You know, That's the most interesting part of it, the most interesting part of it, Keith, I think, is, and you you kind of brought this to the forefront and highlighted it for me, 
is Allen for all of the back and forth. He's he's consistently inconsistent, and he's definitely consistent in his sort of approach, which is which is like a flippant, uh, scorched earth approach. Yeah. And Eugene, as you said, is pretty righteous in his and and I think a lot of the frustration is the pent up, like you said. I we should have done this earlier. I've been saying it. I've been saying it. And even to Eleanor, he's like, you're the one who's going to have to fire him. Remember he said last case, he's yeah. like, after this is all done, you got to let him go. <clears throat> and I think Eleanor's right to be upset that she wasn't looped in. I under, kind of understand that. Definitely. All gameplay. What, 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 is, what is interesting in the fallout here, or how it, how, it, how it all plays out, is where Ellen comes down, Eleanor comes down, because she's, she holds a huge amount of liability in this. She let Definitely. him stay. She's defended him. She's known the shit that he's been doing. She knows so this guy. She holds, and, and I feel like she hasn't really been held to the fire here yet, right? No. So she's going to have to. There, a good show would make her have consequences, and we got to yeah. see if that happens. And 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 she just keeps going back to the well. I know him, and he, he's a good guy. Well, well, that well's dry now, mm-hmm. right? Like that's that's not enough. There's there's got to be more there. So, uh, anyway, uh, long story long. I actually, I, I think I I like this episode more than you did. I'm I'm kind of psyched for next week. I'm I'm excited to see how this all uh, how it all burns down. So I'm gonna give it an eight point four two. So uh, there we go. That's the episode. We've got a bunch of ratings, and now it is time to tell us how to how you tell you how to contact us. You can find us at out of practice podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Out of Practice Podcast. You can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other service and join the jury. We'll be grateful for that. We're also grateful for our patrons that you can join at patreon.com slash KNM. Mike, tell them what's there. You get goodies. You get bonus stuff. You get to help keep afford Fios. Dammy needs it. Uh, and you can... Uh, also, see me watch Deep Space Nine. You can ask us any questions. Hit us up in the DMs. But you just get the honor of knowing that you're helping us continue to create content that a few people enjoy. Uh, we'd like to thank, once again, all those people. If you can't help us because of any financial limitations, guess what? We're not mad at you. Go ahead and, and like us on YouTube or tell your mom to like us on YouTube. We're trying to get those subs up. Also, a shout-out once again to my sister. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. You're old now. You're lucky you're getting it on this podcast. In the meantime, we're going to just have a moment of silence as we let John Ashcroft sing Tom Brady into the sunset. How can it be silent and John Ashcroft at the same time? Let the eagle Thanks, Tom. Thanks for the memories. Bye, Tom. Please retire. You've been fired. From Rocky Coast and to Golden are you going to give it to us? Laser sounds. There it is. Laser sounds. <laughs> <laughs>